seated at this moment. Um, and greetings to everyone who is watching online, um, whether you are at home, alone, uh, with your family, in a watch party, however it is, um, we're glad you're able to join us. Um, we are walking through um, a series uh, called We that is a presentation of some pictures of church. Uh, in the first week, Ben spoke about how we, the church, are called out of something. Um, and the succession of weeks is about what we, uh, the people of God, are called into. And if you remember in the first week, Ben spoke a little bit about how we're called out of the world and its culture, and it's a culture that is significantly about individualism and consumerism and nationalism. And how last week, um, I presented to you the first of, of a number of pictures, uh, which is the church as a body. And this week, um, I'm going to speak to you about the church as God's workmanship. Um, and in the successive weeks, uh, we'll look at the church as God's family, as the temple, as the bride, and as the army. And the text um, that we're going to be reading from today um, is Ephesians 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 22 through um, to verse 2 of chapter, sorry, verse 10 of chapter 2. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn there, but it should also be on the screen. And this, this, this joins together what we spoke about last week, because remember this was a verse that I mentioned last week. He put all things under his feet and gave him, who is Christ, to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then it continues, and you, and this is in chapter 2, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, amazing words, but God, a transition in this verse, but God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And this is our focus first for today. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, the word workmanship Certainly when I read it, doesn't make me a whole lot excited, right, when you think of workmanship. And so I'm wondering if we can find um, another word there that would help us to, 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 to see some of this picture of God's workmanship. Um, the word from which we get workmanship, the Greek word from which we get workmanship, is used one other time in the New Testament. It's used in Romans verses 1. Uh, chapter 1, verse 20, um, and if you can turn there, and that's going to come up on the screen, where it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood 
by the things that are made. And so the things that are made is where you could insert the word workmanship. So being understood by the workmanship. So it's the only two times in the whole New Testament that the word that we get workmanship appears in Ephesians and here. The things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And if we, if we pause to consider some of the things that are made, and this is an opportunity, you can interact as much as you want. I'm going to ask some questions, and they really are not rhetorical questions. They're not questions to which, well, I, I, I can come up with an answer, but it would help also if you may have an answer. Um, so when you think about the things that are made, what does that make you think of in terms of what God has done? And you're just going to have to call out twice as loud because you've got masks on. Anything? What has God made? God. He's made creation. And creation consists of, what are some of the first things God made in creation? Light, trees. So the big things and the, and the other things that aren't so big. So in the heavens, God made the heavens and the earth. And he set planets and stars up there, right? And then, and then he made the earth and, and all that is in the earth. And you're going to see some pictures coming up of, of Ali. Ali's, Ali's, Ali's trying to put together some slides just... So just to help you to, to imagine some of these things that we're talking about here. And when you think about the biggest things that God's done, before you come to think of the little things like the, the little fish in the sea and the ants that we think are insignificant that God also made, think of the big things. And the name of the galaxy that we're part of is called the what? The Milky Way, right? And, and I just want to speak to you about the Milky Way as one galaxy in, my understanding is, hundreds of billions to trillions of others. Hundreds of billions to trillions of other galaxies, just like the one galaxy that we're in. But how big is the one galaxy we're in? Well, I'm told that there are between 100 billion and 2 trillion stars. God's workmanship. I'm told that the, the diameter of the one Milky Way galaxy that we're part of is 200,000 light years in diameter. So if you traveled at the speed of light, if we could, at warp speed, like they did in every movie that we've watched, and the, the stars go to lines, and no one gets thrown back because of the acceleration. They just stand there. Um, but if you could travel at light speed, it would take you 200,000 years to traverse the diameter of our galaxy, to put it in context. The furthest planet from the sun is Neptune. Neptune is between 2.7 and 2.9 billion miles from Earth. And if the distance from Earth to Neptune were this, the size of a quarter, to put it in context, the size of the galaxy we're in is the size of the United States. The wonders, the immensity, the vastness of God's workmanship. And then, yes, we could think about the 100 billion to 2 trillion other galaxies just like that. God's workmanship. And then the earth. And then the seas. And then if you think of some natural wonders... Things like, what are some of the amazing things that we see on earth? What's this one called? The Grand Canyon. I mean, God's workmanship. The Great Wall of China is sometimes called a workmanship of, of humanity in the sense in which when you, you can see it from space. But we, we made in the image of God have God's immense creativity in us. And in the same way as God made these amazing things. And they used to be called seven wonders of the world. Um, I don't know how many of them are still standing, but they were the pyramids. Um, and then the Hanging Gardens of Babylon and, and five others. And then, and then when they started thinking that through again, they wanted to add things like the Great Wall of China. And then the American Society of Civil Engineers wanted to add things like, the, I think it was the Golden Gate Bridge. And, and someone wanted to say that the Internet is this, is this immense workmanship. 
an massive, immense design. And I think the word I want to use instead of workmanship is, is genius. God's genius, God's brilliance, God's extraordinary creativity, God's magnificence. And the word that I'm going to land on is God's masterpiece. When you think of we are God's masterpiece, just like the heavens and the galaxies and the billions of stars in those galaxies and the billions of galaxies that there are, the church is God's masterpiece. And even when you think in terms of human masterpieces and whether you think of, of great works of art, who's the Sistine Chapel, the roof of the Sistine Chapel, things like by Michelangelo, things by Leonardo da Vinci. Who made that? Anybody know? Okay. As you see those scroll through, just look at some of these things and think about when, think of some of the creativity that's gone into these things. And so I'm presenting the picture to you of church that is the exact opposite of what we call church. Because when we think of church, and I don't know whether when we constructed these wonderful, ornate buildings, um, that, that we, were, we were actually dumbing it down a little bit. Because when we begin to think that God's masterpiece is, is some structure, or worse than that, it's just the structure when there's a few people in there, and that structure is the whole of God's masterpiece, it, it takes away from the sense of the magnificence. And I, wanna, I want you to expand your imagination and think of the greatest works of design, the greatest works of engineering, the greatest works of art, the greatest works of literature. Think of space exploration. Think of, the, think of the creativity and the masterpiece that something that can go to Neptune is. One of the things that fascinates me, and I don't even know whether it's going to be up there, I love Formula One racing, and which, is, which is motor racing that involves cars that can go from naught to 100 to naught in less than five seconds. So imagine strapping in, and we're going to go to 100, and back, let's count. 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000. We have gone from naught to 100 and braked in five seconds. Those things can corner at 8G. Yeah, and I can't imagine what 8G is, but I'm told that there are drivers that when they start to drive have necks that are like 13, 14 inches, but become these 18-inch necks that just go straight down because of the, the immense weight that driving in something like that puts. And this is a, this is a masterpiece of human engineering. That that thing can corner. You know, the, you know if you go down Roswell Road and you go down the loop that goes to the 120 loop? You know the one I'm talking about. I try and go around that as fast as I can. My car isn't low enough to the ground, but I imagine that it probably could go around it. I don't even know if I get 1G. <laughs> Maybe eight times quicker than any of us could go in the fastest road car that we have, and our heads would be suffering because of it. And what I'm trying to say to you is that these are, these are masterpieces, and you can think of masterpieces of, of, of music. Not just Mozart, but, 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 I don't know, Pink Floyd. <laughs> Kanye West. That's a joke. <laughs> but everybody has their sense of it. And, 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 so, and so grasp it for a minute. And as we contemplate all of these things, what is our response? What's your response to the wonders of the galaxy? What's your response to the Grand Canyon? Awe, oh, that's right, and wonder and amazement, and silence, and fear, really. And this is my sense, though, is that, is that we marvel at these things. And there used to be a word used in the Bible a lot, which was behold. 
And sometimes I think God's presenting something. He says, behold, and our response is one of, of wonder and awe and, 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 and just a, a appreciation of the majesty of the thing that's being presented. And what it never is, is it's never just an intellectual apprehension, is it? We don't apprehend works of art, whether it's a Cezanne or a Picasso or anything like that. Intellectually, we don't count the pixels. We don't, we don't, we don't marvel at the detail. Well, maybe we do marvel at the detail of the brush strokes, but we, but we, but we, we want to con con contemplate the awe and the majesty of these things. And the bigger they are, the more wonderful they are, the more marvelous they are, the more our sense of awe and wonder. Remember, we're talking about God's masterpiece, which is the church. And it's more than awe and wonder at a beautiful building. It's awe and wonder at something that is almost unfathomable unless God opens the eyes of our imagination to see it. And so that's why we're presenting to you a series of pictures so that through each picture, as we saw the body last week, I hope it expands your imagination as to what church is. And this week, I hope as I'm presenting this picture of God's masterpiece, God's workmanship, that it's expanding your imagination as to what church is. A second thing that I think we we respond to these masterpieces is we see not just the whole and um, we see the whole and not the individual pieces. I don't see just the pixels. I don't just see a, a little cog in that car that can corner an HG. I see the whole thing. And so when you think of the church, think in the same way. Think of apprehending the whole rather than just individual pieces. And the third thing I realize is that when we see Mozart and, and Handel and, and great works of art, of human design and great things that God has done, we, con we contemplate the immensity of the work of art as a, as a statement of excellence. Something excellent has been done here. That's excellent engineering to get to Neptune <laughs> and send pictures back, even if they take eight years or however long it takes for the pictures to get back. Or, or, to create, or to create the Grand Canyon, what excellence God has worked there, or to throw the stars up into the heavens, billions of them, two trillion maybe in the galaxy that we're in, that's 200,000 light years wide. Remember the quarter to Neptune and the United States, the width of our galaxy, these things, excellence, excellence, excellence. Very rare is it that we're going to contemplate that God has done these things or uh, an artist or a, a, a creator has done it with junk, Right? If you're going to set out to build a, a brilliant spaceship, you're going to look for the finest engineered pieces, aren't you? You're going to find the highest stress, metals that can take the highest stresses. And you're going to look for cutting-edge technology. You're not going to do it from the scrap heap, which is interesting. And I was talking to Ali about this on, on Friday, and we were thinking of, of art that comes from the scrap heap. And Ali found uh, a picture, um, which is very interesting because it is exactly that. That is art from the scrap heap. And I'm going to give credit to the artists, Tim Noble and Sue Webster, who went to a scrap heap, and they put bits of pieces together to make, what would you say that is? People sitting in the chairs, you can call that louder than this, the mask and making it hard. People sitting in the chair, maybe. But you know what the amazing thing about this is? That's not the whole of the picture. The whole of the picture requires an additional thing. It requires light to be shone on it, because when light shone on it, look what happens. When light is shone on something that looks ordinary and junk, look what happens. And our God is a God who went to a scrap heap 
to build a masterpiece. Yeah, we were made in the image of God. Yeah, we were his highest creation, but let's read in Ephesians the second part of this. Remember that it says that we were dead in sins and trespasses and that we were objects of God's wrath. God was mad with us because we had fallen from being his perfect, his pristine creation made in his image. And in a sense then, we are the, or we were the works that were discarded on the scrap heap. We were worthless. We were good for nothing, dead in sin and trespasses. And then if we read the balance of Ephesians, starting at chapter um, 2, verse 11, remember this. And so, remember, Ephesians is written to us. Gentiles, because in verse 1 when it says, and you he made alive, he's talking to Gentiles. And to the Gentiles, he just loads it up even further by saying, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, you were called the uncircumcision by what is called the, uncircum- the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. That's an insult, right? For the Jews to look at the Gentiles, they're saying you are uncircumcised. That's an insult, and the insults keep going. That at that time, you were without Christ. There's another thing. Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. He's abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross." Therefore, putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were afar, afar off, and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you Gentiles, us, are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And that's going to be another picture that we're going to present later in this. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God, the Spirit. And so when you add Ephesians 2, 11, 22 to Ephesians 1 to 10, you get these things that we were dead in our trespasses. We were objects of God's anger. We were without Christ. We were aliens. We were strangers. We were without hope. We were without God in the world. We were far off. We were the other side, the wrong side of a wall of separation. And we were foreigners is where God starts. And if that ain't the stuff of Scrappy, I don't know what is. And the amazing thing is, if you were to read, and I encourage you to do this, read Ephesians 3, follow on in the story, 1 through to 12. It begins to tell us there that there's been this, this mystery hidden from the beginning of time. That God hid from everybody, that the angels longed to work out what God was doing, that the prophets longed to to get a sense of what it was that they were prophesying about when they were saying these things. This mystery hidden from the beginning of time is that God's going to go to a scrap heap and he's going to take those things that were dead in their sins, dead in their trespasses, worthless, good for nothing, separated, the object of his wrath, nothing good about them at all, And what's he going to do with them? He's going to bring them in to this one magnificent creation, his workmanship, his masterpiece. 
And Ephesians 3.10 says it this way. Why did he do it? To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God may be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Keep that up for a minute and just look at that verse. So God goes to a scrap heap. He picks up the Gentiles. He grafts them in to the body that is the Jewish nation that he called out and led and protected and gave his law to and, 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 and called his people. And he does it in order to show his manifold wisdom. Who to? The powers and principalities in the heavenly places. So let's go back to the beginning and imagine the galaxies and how the galaxy speaks and how the billions of stars in the galaxy speaks. Bigger than that is the church. More than we can wonder about the magnificence of the galaxies and the billions and trillions of stars and the billions and trillions of galaxies and try and fathom that, the church is God's bigger, better, more perfect, more magnificent masterpiece, his work of art, not just a building. So you see, when we think in those terms, you're beginning to see that the bigger our vision, our image of church is, the easier it is for us to be committed to being church, right? When our vision of church is small, being part of it, committing to it is harder. But as we expand our vision of church, it's easier to say, oh, I, I see that. I see that. And, and just like we said that our response to works of art and masterpieces is not an intellectual one, it's one of awe, it's one of wonder, it's one of reverence, it's one of, it's one of humility, it's one of a sense in which, God, look what you've done. Look what you've done. Look, this is immense, immense, massive, wonderful thing you've done. And so I want to make four observations based on that verse to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God may be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. We are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. The first observation is this, is that we are part of God's masterpiece. You may think that's just a little small point, but it's big. We're not part of anybody else's. We are not called to be part of someone else's masterpiece. Everyone's trying to construct something. Everyone's trying to put something together. Everyone's trying to create a picture. Whether their picture is called an ism or an ology or, or a this or a that. Yeah? The ideal, I'm going to, sorry, the ideal of any country, the highest that any country can be, is lower than God's masterpiece. So you're called to be less affiliated to a country than you are to the masterpiece that you are part of, which is God's. Anyism, anyology, any cause. Be careful not to be drawn into people's causes. Because their cause is their way of trying to present a picture of workmanship, of artistry that is not God's masterpiece. So the second point I want to make is that remember to work. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So remember to work. The opposite of work is Oh, you guys are just so timid. <laughs> Someone shout out something. That's the opposite of work. Rest, okay. But if you refuse to work, what do you call that? Oh, what's also like refusing to work? Sloth, right? Um, 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 stubbornness. 
what else is like that? Um, what if you're non-functioning? What if you were a piece in a Formula One car designed to do HG cornering? Just with, I'm just not going to do my bit. I'm going to be a cog and I will not move. What's the whole piece going to do? What's the whole car going to do? It's going to break, right? Or you're a pixel or a brushstroke in a, in a, in a masterpiece of, of, a, of a great master. And you decide today, I'm just going to not do my thing and I'm just going to blank out. Yeah, when people look at the whole thing, what will they see? They'll see this, huh. <laughs> Rather than beholding the whole thing, you're more likely to see the thing that's not right, that's not lined up, that's not working, that's not doing its thing, that's... that's and what if it's just all about itself? What if the piece of the masterpiece decides to say that I'm the most important thing here, I'm more important than the big picture, that you stand out and you're a little bit more prominent than you should be? Again, all of these things work to mar the beauty, the gloriousness of the masterpiece. So firstly, we're part of God's masterpiece, not someone else's. Secondly, remember to work. We're not meant to be reluctant participators in the kingdom of God. We're not meant to be stubborn. We're not meant to be non-functioning or self-seeking, or misplaced, or in other words, anything that mars the brilliance, the beauty of God's masterpiece. And the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray is, thy will be done, thy kingdom come. If you're bold enough to pray that prayer every day of your life, I guarantee you, you're going to see some things change. There are going to be things that you might not have felt called to do that you might suddenly begin to experience a sense of call to. You might begin to perceive that you're an answer to a problem that you see and think someone else should be the answer to. You might begin to realize that you're called to work in some way to make the masterpiece everything the masterpiece can be. A third point, remember the scrap heap. Remember the scrap heap that we came from. We're saved by grace, through faith. This not of yourselves. So the faith isn't ours either. But the faith is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. So by remembering the scrap heap, what you're saying is, I remember, God, where you pulled me from. I remember what I was. I know the depths of depravity and horror that still are within my flesh. Yet you saved me. Yet though I was dead in my trespasses, you pulled me out of my trespasses and my sins. And you made something of me. And you've, and you've somehow made me part of your, your masterpiece. And by doing so, you're wanting to display something amazing to the powers and principalities. So by remembering the scrap heap from we, which we were pulled from, it means we must also not forget others who may still be in the scrap heap. That's the heart of compassion, right? It's not a judgmental spirit. It's not that they're this or he's this or she's this or this should be their, their destruction or all that sort of thing. Because the scripture says that remember first the, the what in my eye, the, the speck in my eye before I look at the plank in the, sorry, the plank in my eye before I look at the speck in the other person's eye, which I think is a Jesus joke. I think Jesus is really saying, seriously, yeah, you're looking at that little tiny thing, mirror, big plank. Really, get with the program, people. Seriously. Remember the scrap heap. It means that, that we who were once foreigners to the kingdom can't look down and despise foreigners. And we can't look down and despise those who may be without hope because we were those who were without hope. We were strangers. We were aliens. 
We were without God in the world. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And so for me, remembering the scrap heap means to remember where God pulled us from and to look with compassion on the whole world that God loves and wants to pull also out of. And it means that we should be missionary in our outlook and our thoughts. And we should preach the gospel. Because I make an assumption when I'm talking to you here that everyone here knows the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. But if you don't, and if there's anyone at home who doesn't, then get in your car and come here. <laughs> so we can have a conversation about what it means to know Jesus. And if you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm not going to be presumptuous about it because you're in church that that's what's going on. If you're not sure, come talk to me about it afterwards also because this is important. I've got to remember that someone once preached the gospel to me. And the fourth and final point is this. Remember who the audience is. The manifold wisdom of God being made known by the church not to the earth. This is wild. But to the powers and principalities in the heavenly places. This, this is amazing stuff. That somehow God goes to the scrap heap, does better than that scrap heap, shine light on it thing. Yeah, that when you shine the light on the, the scrap heap of people that are pulled together from all walks of life that were this kind of mess and that kind of mess and oh we don't want to talk about what kind of mess he or she was and God brings them all together and he and he puts his spirit in us and he saves us and he rescues us and he lifts us out of the mire and the sin and our trespasses and he and he assembles us into this magnificent masterpiece and he says to the powers and principalities ha right isn't that what God's saying that's what God's saying he's like look at what I can do look at what I am and God's masterpiece causes the principalities and the powers, I am sure, to awe and to wonder. What kind of God is this? What kind of wisdom is this? What kind of love is this? To choose things that everyone else despised and make a masterpiece of them. And when you remember who the audience is, you remember also that you're warring against the, an audience who doesn't like God that much and doesn't like anything that bears the image of God very much. And Ephesians also, also tells us that we've got, to, we've got to put on the armor of God, right? Because, because our battle is not against what? Not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers and the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So you've got to remember that we're in a spiritual battle. It's not an earthly thing. It's a spiritual battle. The audience is, is, is spiritual, not natural. And so, and so that calls for a kind of boldness. It calls for confidence. It calls for us to, to be amazing. It calls for us to be brilliant, to be exceptional, to be, to be excellent, not to be timid, doesn't it? Because just think of this. I'm going to put this in a, in a, in a context that might be easier to understand. If, you, if, you're a, if you're like a heat panel on a space shuttle, right, and you know what that space shuttle can do and you know it can go up, there's probably been things since the space shuttle, haven't there? Uh, more sophisticated bits of um, uh, space exploration stuff. But you're a piece of the space shuttle. You know what you're part of, right, don't you? And you suddenly realize, oh, hold on a sec. I'm something important here. I'm not important in myself, but I matter because if I fall off when we're re-entering, 
oops, <laughs> the whole piece. So I've got to cling to my brother and sisters uh, who also heat panels and make sure that, I don't even know whether they heat panels on it. I'm talking about 200-year-old uh, space exploration technology. Sorry. Um, but you get the point, though. The point is you're part of God's masterpiece, but remembering who the audience is, God's called us to belong. God's called us to have a sense of purpose. God's called us to not be timid, but to wow, to cause others to awe because of, 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 of the good things that we can do because of God who has saved us. And he's equipped us with gifts of his spirit for this purpose. Gifts of his spirit for spiritual work. The fruit of his spirit for spiritual work. Faith, hope, love, wisdom. Think of the scripture that says that he's given us a treasure within earthen vessels. That's God's equipping for a spiritual task. The treasure, which is the whole of what God has done, his spirit, the gifts of his spirit, the, the power of his spirit within us so that it says that we are, we are hard-pressed. So think about that in the midst of the pandemic. You're pressed, but something pushes back so that you're not crushed. It says also that you're perplexed, which is like an assaulting of the mind. Your mind's confused and you can't work it out and you don't know when it's going to end. But it says, but we're not in despair. It says that we are persecuted, but not forsaken. It says that we are struck down, but not destroyed. All because God has equipped us for the spiritual work of displaying to the powers and principalities, the glory, the marvelous nature, the wonder of his church. So I hope you're getting a little bit of the sense of this. I'm trying to paint a picture and throw things around here and there. Just think of this. You're part of God's masterpiece. You're part of God's masterpiece. So work. Remember the scrap heap. Remember who the audience is. And you're not anybody else's. You're not anybody else's. So break your affiliations to anything that isn't as strong as your affiliation to the kingdom of God and the masterpiece God has called us to be part of.